Welcome to the I'm Just Saying podcast, hosted by Anthony Tilgman, featuring the latest trends and all the coolest vibes. Tell your friends to tune in because they'll love it too. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the I'm Just Saying podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tillman, and we got another great show. Um, really quick, 10 days to election 2020. Make sure you get out and vote. Um, yesterday, we had the presidential debate um, versus Joe Biden and President Trump, and it was the last one. But the clear winner was Kristen Weller, who was the moderator. She did her thing. She moderated it, you know, amazingly, and she did a great job. I think she was the overall winner of the debate. Um, the biggest issues clearly was COVID and, of course, the taxes. But, you know, Trump still won't release those tax documents and the IRS is clearly not worried about it. So moving on um, today, we got a special guest. We're going to talk to Dr. Chantel Sherman. She's the uh, docs of eugenics, um, and she's also the founder of Acumen Magazine. She's going to talk to us about what eugenics is and how that affects the African-American DNA and talk all about African-American history that's going on around the world. And what can we do as African-Americans to learn more about our DNA and our ancestry and, of course, our history? Welcome to the show, Dr. Chantella Sherman. Hey, how's it going, Anthony? Happy to be here. Hey, thanks for being on the show. So tell me, uh, you know, I know you have a publication. It's called Acumen. So tell us about your publication and tell us why you chose that name. Well, first of all, um, Acumen, just the word itself, means extreme intellect. Um, it's the, the, the things we do as reporters and as historians, where we literally go in and investigate and dig out the information and we use narratives that aren't a part of the official narrative. So, for instance, if you're working at a newspaper where all you hear are the, the talking heads, that's a problem because usually the news comes from the community and you never get to the, the real intent of a story until you talk to as many people as possible to get a nuance for it. And so it's one of the things that we deal with in history. I'm both a historian and a journalist. And so one of the things as a historian that's always troubled me is that for Black people, if it's not written, it didn't exist. So Black people tend to do their stories verbally. We pass down information by word of mouth, um, by folklore. We talk it out. When we do write, we write in codes. So people still haven't figured out the hieroglyphics. Mm. Got that? All right. It's made in, it's woven into our fabrics. Um, so it looks like a, a painting or a, a art to the other person is actually a language and it's a message to us. So because people can't decipher what it is that we're saying, and sometimes now we can't decipher it, you know, a lot of information is lost. My job with Acumen Magazine is to dig those histories out, make people aware of what they are. Um, and a lot of what we do also deals with eugenics, um, which is basically um, a science, a pseudoscience of race. And so anytime we're talking racism, white supremacy, if you don't understand the scientific components of racism, it confuses you, right? So this magazine, we come out four times a year in publication and actual print, but we also do uh, digital versions throughout the year. It's all student-led and student-driven, high school and college students. 
a few volunteers from the community, including Anthony over here, who um, always has photos for us, and I'm always grateful for that. Um, but the goal is to make sure that we understand our history um, so that when current events come up, we understand how to frame them. Hmm, okay. So tell me, what is the biggest African-American history story that, that really has been told but never really been published? That is a hard one. And then I would say if I if I really had to get into it to kind of pull the layers apart, um, I would say understanding our place, the African-American presence in America as a whole. It's probably one of the most confusing stories. And every time a person thinks that they have it in hand, there are other nuances that kind of confuse it. Who was considered Black? Um, there were people who were enslaved, but um, for instance, if you were in the state of Georgia, you were allowed, if you were Muslim, because there were people who were Islamic who were enslaved, right? You were allowed to still practice your religion. Um, and however many times you're supposed to pray a day as a Muslim, on that plantation, that's how you were allowed to pray because your faith was a part of who you were. So we don't talk about that. When we talk about enslavement, we talk about whips and lashes and all of this. Um, we don't talk about black enslavers um, mm -hmm. because this was a right. This was an economy. And so we don't talk about black men who had to purchase their wives and children and then leave the state because you couldn't remain in um, a, a, an enslaved state as free black people. They didn't want that example to be seen by other black people or by other enslaved people. So on paper, it looks like we had black people that owned other black people, but it may have been a situation where a husband had to purchase his wife and kids on paper and then move them to another state. So it's those types of things that we kind of have to, to nuance a little better. And because we haven't, it creates a great problem. Um, yeah, but so everything is a lot of times when we don't understand the, the historical narratives space by space, community by community, because they haven't been told. We look at enslavement or our presence in this country as monolithic. Like we all had the same experience and we absolutely did not. Hmm. Okay. So, so break down eugenics for us. So tell us like, you know, how come um, eugenics is so necessary in African-American history? Uh, well, we can start with the present and then go back. And I think that that helps people a lot of times understand it a little bit better. If we look today at things like housing policy, um, where redlining was an issue, has been an issue, um, or gentrification, a lot of these policies, if you actually look at the law, they'll say things like, you know, Black people tear up property. So is that a genetic thing? Are you saying that it's in our genes to be innately destructive? Okay, if, you, if that's where you're going and you're making it a race trait, then that's what you're saying, this is eugenic. Eugenic says that things like hair texture, eye color, height, weight, that's transmitted through your genes, but also your character is transmitted. So if you had a great grandparent who was a thief or a criminal or was immoral or did all these things, it's in your genes, in your DNA to do those same things. And so based upon the fact that you've had some distant ancestor who did certain things, the probability that you will do it, that's what eugenics means. It means that we can produce better people by ensuring that folks with bad character don't have children, folks with good character do, those with good traits, good stock. And so when we think in terms of education, for instance, and we talk about who gets funded, um, how much money is being funded to different schools, and you automatically say, if a school is east of the river, 
there are problems over there. So you immediately, you don't think these are individual students who may be great. They're brilliant. They're bright. You say they're single parent homes. There's poverty. The cost of living is this. Um, their housing looks like this. And you automatically make it a, a scientific and biological innate probability that these kids will have problems learning. They'll have problems with food resources and all these other things. And a lot of times it it keeps you from dealing with the person or the people because you've already put a mark against them. All right. So it comes off in, again, education. It comes off in housing. Um, our president constantly talks about being a good stock. Um, and so for those who are uh, modern historians and they deal with uh, World War II and Hitler, Hitler learned everything he learned from us. So eugenics was an American concept. A British guy came up with it, Francis Galton, but he moved to America and this is where he made it stick. All right. So our policies from the Dred Scott case, um, from Plessy versus Ferguson, Supreme Court cases, all of these things come from a belief that black people are innately inferior and that we represent a subhuman or subspecies of human. We're at the top of the monkey chain, the bottom of the human chain. All right. Mm. And so we haven't gotten rid of this. I, I want people to understand this. I've had people try and debate me and go, but nobody really thinks that a black person is a monkey anymore. And it's like, no, that's not the case. What they're saying is your evolution is incomplete. And that's why even when we have something like COVID-19 come up, the very first thing you started hearing was black people are more likely to die. Black people are more likely to get it. How did you all of a sudden not know, knowing what this disease was, this virus was, how it's traced anything determine that black people would be the ones that get it. And then you automatically think it's the hypertension and diabetes and weight and all of these other things. And it's like, you haven't studied this virus enough to know its propensity for hitting anyone. And as soon as you get the, the virus to go outside of those parameters, you, you notice all of a sudden they've stopped talking about black people dying. They've stopped talking about black people being, you know, the susceptors, the receptors, the spreaders of this, this contagion. And not looking at very basic things like, could it be attached to smoking menthol cigarettes? Could it be attached to the fact that not just Black people, but people who work and have to use public transportation or who live in apartment buildings where you're using the same air filter uh, systems, you're spreading this through other means, all right? We're getting on elevators. We're getting on public transportation. Before we were wearing masks, how many people picked this up just through public transportation the same way you would uh, any other virus? So is that a racial component? Of course not. But as soon as you start framing race into it, you make this a eugenic construct. And so for I keep telling people, if you can go back and read different books related to eugenics, it's going to help you understand what we're living with in present. All right. And there's some great books that, that, that do that. And I can you know make sure I share those with you. Um, every edition of Acumen Magazine has a piece in it that deals specifically with eugenics. So for people who don't want to read an entire book, you get a little teaser in each edition of Acumen where we'll, we'll tease out some of the information um, and we're dealing with in the current issue measurements um, and how before there were fingerprints, um, Black people, every person in this country had to go before an institution, whether it's public health, school systems, um, the military and uh, or colleges and universities you would come in and they would immediately measure 122 parts of your body. Those measurements were to determine what was considered normal and what was abnormal. And then to classify those things and say, you know, black women, because they have bigger bone structures or they're larger, 
when they're taller, they're less feminine. They're more aggressive. Um, they're more likely to, to have immorality because the wider you are, it's supposedly the more immoral sexually um, available you are. All right. And so this isn't based on science. This is based on just this person's theory. Um, and so you start to have things where it looks like they're falling into place, but really you're just um, using racism um, to create the scientific information that you want. But this, it never really pans out. All right. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't also filter into um, our institutions. And so BMI, if you go to a, a, a nurse or a doctor, the first thing they say is, OK, based on your height, and your weight, you should be, or based on your, your age and your, your weight, you should be this size or your height, you should be this weight. Where did you get this? You know, all the people on the planet, how do you determine a person is healthy or not healthy based upon something as simple as their height and their age and what you believe their weight should be as if you can, you know, figure out how that works. Doesn't mean the person isn't healthy, but you start to be able to label people um, very quickly. And then, um, cast aspersions or set up hierarchies where racism pervade. So what is the what is the biggest misconception about eugenics that people really don't understand today? Um, that it's over, that it's something in the past. And I think that that for me is, is probably the most disheartening thing because you can't see, I always say history is a living, breathing thing. History is, is, is it's on us, it's in us. We, we keep doing the same things over and over because we never really stop. We go covert and then we come pop right back out and do the same thing. IQ tests were originally a part of the eugenic um, Goddard Binet testing that was done. So you change the name, you added a few additional questions to the test, to the exams, but an IQ test is the same thing. Then you start having standardized tests for college, your GREs, your SATs, your ACTs. You notice now that most black people are getting decent scores on these ACTs and SATs, that a lot of colleges, California, New York, they're starting to say, we don't even want to use the, <laughs> the test anymore. All right. This is bias. It was always bias. But some people um, just can't do testing. Some people just can't, you know, they, they don't learn by taking tests. They learn visually. Just like how right now we're in a, um, you know, we're in a situation with distant learning and some and some people just can't do distant learning. Some people have to physically be in the classroom. And Absolutely. We don't think about that when, when we look at like, you know, distant learning and just the just so-called new normal that's that's already been normal. And well, and again, Anthony, to that point, you know, who determines what's considered to be normal? So that's why I said you go back to this eugenic thing. There's a, a historian at Howard University, his name is BP Franklin. Um, he's always my go-to guy when we start talking IQ tests. He did a great journal article years ago called The, the Tests Are Designed for the Dog. So this, this, <laughs> these researchers are trying to figure out if you have a cat and a dog in here, which one will behave in a certain type of way. But if you have a bias where you're like, I really want the dog to win, you're going <laughs> to set it up to ensure that the things that you, you get that cat to do, you're going to make it seem like that cat is off, that cat is wrong. So Literally what happens, you look at the questions that are on some of these, these tests. You look at the way the tests are formulated, you know, toward a, a certain type of way of, of um, engaging. And in schools, a lot of times it's, can you just remember what you've learned? So it's memorization. So if you can memorize well enough, you go back to that and you're good. 
They used to tell a lot of folks, if you can sing it or use your finger to texturize, write the words out, texturize it with your finger, then it, it gets into your system and you can remember things. Okay. Like, so it's, like I said, when Black people started doing extremely well on these tests, then all of a sudden it becomes, let's not use them. Or Asians and, and folks from Pakistan, they started taking these tests and they're, they're off the scales passing. Okay. So I thought you could only get a 4.0. They start having 5.0. And I'm like, wow. Okay. They beat the examiner with the test. All right. They got in and said, the way this question is done, the answer could be this, 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 and this. And none of those are even possibilities. So they, they started blowing the test out the water. Then it became, you know, white people aren't fitting into this space quite as well as we want them to. And so what we're going to do is just erase the whole need for this. And we're going to start talking about um, how much community service do you do and, you know, other things. And that's the way it should have been in the first place. All right. What makes you as a whole person qualified to be in, a, in an institution of higher learning, it's, it really is down to your capacity. You're capable of doing the work. And then the other part of it is how many folks got to college and, you know, based on the partying, the drinking, the being off on your own, you, you it took you a semester really to adapt. All right. So if that's the case, every student has the potential to fail in that first semester or first year because they're away from home. It's all these other things. Homesickness. The retention is crazy in most places. But when you make this a racial issue, then it becomes a eugenic issue. Because you're saying that innately, Black folks are predisposed to not being able to do the work. The capacity isn't there. And that has to be examined because, again, it goes into the rubric of um, now we feel like we need to give Black people either extra or, you know, shift or change something. It's really like just go back to the original system and say, let's pull this out and let's have the teachers determine which one of the students they feel, with, with, you know, the letters of recommendation should count. You know, the meetings with the students one-on-one -on -one should count, all right? But when you want to streamline a process because schools are a moneymaker, education is money. So as the college campuses know right now, with no one on the campus, the campus isn't doing so well, all right? Um, and so you have to try and figure out different ways of teaching the same students that you claim didn't have the capacity to do the work in the first place, or those people blow it out the water, and now they're the ones having the problem because they're not physically in the space to do the learning, all right? Mm -hmm. It's about the teaching. How do you, if you want people to get the information and you make sure that they get the information, however you need to teach. You don't rely on the student and say the, the student just doesn't have it in them. And then the child goes to another university or someplace else, and they're like rocket scientists, all right? Yeah. It wasn't the student, it was the teacher, or it was the teaching methodology. Okay, so what are you saying to people that 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 kind of, you know, go against the uh, eugenics and say that, you know, if a person was, was, was um, you know, classified this way, that they're not obligated to be this way in the future because they, they can change. Like they, they kind of like, you know, their, their, their history, their, their DNA shows that there was, a, you know, a thief or this way, but they, they changed their whole life. Well, here's the thing. For me, science is like saying you're going into outer space. All right. You don't know. You know, how many of us went to school and they were like, what are the nine planets? Maybe the galaxy is much bigger than nine flipping planets. We understand that now. Okay, so I don't think they teach that kind of foolishness in schools anymore. It's like, you understand what the universe means? You know, it's like, I think 
every time science feels like they have it, who told you that you can pick out in the long DNA strains and the microscopic, okay, that you can pick out the exact DNA strain that deals with criminality? You can't. You can't, man. It's impossible. So it's the reason why, like I said, every time they're, they're telling you we got this, we can pick out the DNA strand that will cause breast cancer, potentially cause breast cancer, or that causes Down syndrome, or that causes people to steal. Anthony, it's not about people stealing. It's about who gets caught. All right? So when you look at little kids, little kids between zero and five, all right? They have the capacity to do all types of stuff that we would say is illegal, immoral, backwards, <laughs> silly, simple-minded, all of the above. You don't sit right there and start classifying them. They're doing it now in, in uh, kindergarten. But it's like, this child is still learning the world, okay? A lot of times, something that's environmental. If everyone in your area, and we can make it a medical thing. You know, I tell people, if they used to say Black people have poor lungs. Um, they, they're prone to tuberculosis and breathing issues. Okay. Well, years ago, if you were working on a farm and the people came by to spray the crops, they didn't tell the black people to get out the field while they're spraying the crops. You just got a cloud of, of all types of, um, disinfectants or whatever, you know, chemicals drop down on you in the middle of a field where there's nowhere to even run. All right. So that goes into your lungs. It goes into the lungs of everyone in your community, everyone in your family. You leave and go to Chicago. Everyone in your family has a breathing issue. That's not because you're prone as a black person to breathing issues. It's because your lungs have been impacted based upon the environment you were in. All right. So even now when we're talking about black people and asthma and this, 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 and this. Okay. What are the living conditions that the person is in? Is there mildew and mold? Um, are there issues, again, with ventilation? Um, are there issues with pollutants in the city where you made these, these Black neighborhoods in Cancer Alley? All right. Those are real. Um, we just went through this whole thing about lead water and toxicity in, in the natural environment. That you place Black communities right there in the heart of these spaces where it's going gonna, it's gonna to triple. It's going to trip up their, their immune systems. It's going to play with their, you know, play havoc with their lungs, with their hearts. So when you start talking about Black people having hypertension or having diabetes or whatever, all these other things, the natural environment that you're in, when you start to eat and ingest food, are you eating foods that's compromising your immune system or your heart or your, your cardiovascular system? Not because the food itself is bad or is, is poor quality, but because the soil and the air and the water is the issue, all right? And so those are the things, like I said, if you immediately start saying it's a black thing and it's genetic, these black people have it, it's a race trait, black folks do this, black folks do that, then you're literally saying that I can't escape these things because I'm black. All right. Um, and again, you also know that, this, again, there's a racial component in it because a racist component, because when it's white people who are more prone to cardiovascular issues between a certain point or osteoporosis or breast cancers, things like that, you'll never see a commercial on television that says white women are more <laughs> likely to have this, 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 and this. You won't see it. So why is it that you feel you need to pull out black people with these types of things? All right. So it's a, it's, science is very biased and sometimes racist in its approaches. And because of that, you're, you're looking at me as a deficit. I have a deficit when I walk into a doctor's office. 
when I walk into a classroom, when I walk into a bank, um, when I walk into a car dealership, when I, you know, any place that you name. And then you start looking at something like the Psychological Association of America um, just came out with a report a couple of months ago that said, there's a pandemic of racism where the fact that black people are dealing with racism in such a, an overt uh, level, it is causing problems with the physiology of their bodies and it's causing hypertension, diabetes, like your body is, is reacting, your organs is reacting to it. The president of the American Psychological Association released this as a press release, okay? And so literally it's like, right. So why can't you attach the emotional side of what black people may be going through um, with all of this racism and this backbiting and infighting and all of this with the nation not feeling safe with these physical conditions that you're saying. That's not a race trait in and of itself, but it is saying that white people or society, you know, as you're doing these, you're doing these types of things institutionally, um, it's impacting black people's bodies in such a way that it's not a race trait, but it is racist. And it does disproportionately impact black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, because white people more often than not are the culprits. All right. And so, again, while that may sound racist in and of itself, just look at the data, look at the information. OK, so um, a lot of information shared. So where where can we find more about eugenics? And of course, where can we get a copy of Acumen magazine and where can we you know, follow you and, you know, everything that you have going on? And, and then also what's next? <laughs> well, um, there are a number of great books, I think, that, that deal with um eugenics in and of itself. Um, what I can do, like I said, Anthony, is provide you with that list. But right off the bat, if you go to, it's a website called the eugenicsrecordsarchive.org. This is the organization in Cold Springs Harbor, New York, um, which holds all of the original data. This is where a lot of my data sets come from for my books and my manuscripts or whatever else. Um, and they have the original documentation from 1840 moving forward. Every test, every study that was done on black bodies, on white bodies, because again, even though I'm saying this is racial in this sense, all white is not white. So white people had to prove their whiteness through their behaviors as well. And many of them, a, a good many of them, were put into asylums based upon the fact that their behavior was very black. All right. Um, and so that needs to be looked at. So check that out. Um, Acumen Magazine, you can pick up a copy either online. Um, or you can go through issue. We have both a digital version. You can purchase a subscription, which is only $30 a year um, at theacumengroup.org, which is www.theacumengroup.org. Um, and what's up next? Um, I tend to do, I've been doing lectures. Anthony, you've been in a few of them where it's, it used to be a weekly public lecture free to the community to just come out and understand a bit about eugenics. Um, we aren't able to do that um, because of COVID. However, we try and do them once a month. So go to the website again and check out the schedule. Um, anytime I can talk about popular eugenics, which is in television and film. That's the next move as well. The book will be out before the year is out. And it's called Pop U, Popular Eugenics in Television and Film, where we decipher eugenic themes that are in the programming that you're watching every day. Wow. So we're going to check that out, everybody. Um, Dr. Chatella Sherman eugenics acumen magazine um so much going on black excellent at its best 
Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Tune in next time where we're going to have another amazing guest talking about another amazing topic. I'm just saying, y'all, tune in. Holla. Need some new leggings? Here at Leggings & More, we specialize in fashionable and quality leggings at affordable prices. We sell different types of women's leggings for all shapes and sizes. We have casual, fitness, or leggings for a night on the town. Everything you need. Visit our website, leggings-more.com, to check out our new arrivals. Thank you for tuning in to the I'm Just Saying podcast. Tune in next week. Don't forget to tell a friend. And don't forget the hashtag, I'm Just Saying.